Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and today is the Old Testament series as it continues. Dr. Peter Kapsner is not with me today, but that's okay. He's going to be with me next week. But today I've got the uh, great joy for me to be with Jay Warner Wallace for the whole hour. Normally, Jim and I talk about a number of things, but today we're going to focus on Aaron from the Old Testament. And as I think about Aaron, and I go, hmm, let's see. He was in a day when elder brothers were respected and held a place of honor in the family, yet God kind of flipped that expectation upside down. So he was uh, uh, Moses' brother, and we're going to find out everything we can about Aaron today with Jim Wallace. He is, of course, uh, one of my all-time favorite guests. He is a senior fellow at the Colson Center for Christian Worldview, adjunct professor of apologetics at Talbot School of Theology, and I can go on and on from there. Jim, welcome. Well, you know what? I'm almost afraid to enter into this discussion, right? You, you didn't tell me that Peter wasn't going to be here. I thought, hey, yeah, you're, 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 you're on your you own way today. in on this. Yeah, you know, right? <laughs> yeah. That would have been awesome. Yeah. But yeah, we'll try our best to yeah. talk a little bit about Aaron. We got a sure. co- we probably got a cozy 20, 20 minutes of material without Peter, so you know we can stretch yeah. it into an hour. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I hope you have all of your advertising lined up and <laughs> it is robust. Yeah. That's right, so we can get this through through this. But actually. There are some aspects about Aaron that I might take in a different direction because I just think that it's it's fascinating to me. You know, first of all, you guys have already talked about a bunch of Old Testament figures, so 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 I, that's I think that's really really good. And, and you probably talked about it in some ways in an academic way. And so what I really want to do is is kind of focus on Aaron in a way that's more um, just observational and applicable. I think for as nice. we look at kind of biblical masculinity, right? As we Ooh, see it, that'd uh, be great. Aaron, that'll be great. Yeah. yeah. No, for sure. I think Aaron's one of those guys who, I think we could probably do a study, right, on how God um, treats the, you know, the, the idea in the Old Testament, and so much of Jewish culture, is that, you know, that the, the oldest son is the one who gains the birthright of, mm-hmm. of his father. Yet over and over again, you see that it's the second, it's often the youngest son, or the not the oldest son, who is favored in some way. And so I guess you could kind of look at what happens with Moses and Aaron? Aaron's three years older than than Moses, but he is not. Is he favored? You know, I, I think he is. Um, but there's a sense in which, if you look at the text, you might think, well, no, Moses is the one who gets all the glory, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But maybe that part of that's because Moses is the author. Now, now, look, we could go through a lot of this. What's been written about Aaron? There's a lot of you know textual criticism that's been done over the years about you know how much of this is from what source. Who's actually writing about Aaron? What you know? Does this color the way we we see Aaron because he's written about you know by by, by one writer or different? Look, I take it on its face. Um, I, my, I hold the view that you can only do so much with textual criticism. So so we could look at this and say, well, you know, who wrote how much of the Pentateuch and. Do we think it's just Moses? Do we think it's a, a series of different kinds of groups that have added to the text? Okay, I, I take it on its um, original kind of view that Moses is the author of the first five books. And maybe that's why we sometimes see Moses as the, the kind of um, favored son of these two. 
instead of instead of Aaron. Yeah. Uh, but there's a sense in which I love Aaron's story because it's different, uh, so different in terms of how he presents himself. And there is a lesson I think in there that um, speaks to the, the role that we all have as men, a, a biblical perspective on what it is to be human and what it is to be a, a man. Um, that you can learn in Aaron that you can't maybe learn as well as or quick, as quickly in Moses. Well, I'm excited to hear what this what this is because Aaron was obviously indispensable to, to Moses. I mean, together they took on Pharaoh and they faced the ten plagues of Egypt and they led the Israelites out of captivity. So they're uh, they're pretty inseparable. You know, sometimes when you'll do a study and you'll present um, the same data to different people to see how they react. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can kind of see the same thing happening in Scripture with Moses and Aaron, right? You, you have a similar set of data that's presented to both. So if you look at like Exodus, the book of Exodus, and um, now I'm going to struggle to figure out where we are um, to pull all these sources up, but you look at how um, Moses responds to the request of God or the, the calling of God. He, requ- he responds very differently, right? Then, so in other words, we have the same kind of data being presented to Moses and the same being presented to Aaron. And we get a chance then to really look. That's the best way to do it, right? You have kind of like you would run any kind of a, a study where you would present the same data to two different groups and see how they respond. Well, the same thing kind of happens here. You know, uh, God calls Moses and tells Moses what he wants him to do. And Moses, his he gives one kind of response. And then later in the text, um, you see him, the same kind of event happened with Aaron, where Aaron is called by God, and he has a different kind of response. And there's a sense in which I just love Aaron because he responds so differently than Moses responds, right? I mean, you see this in, in Exodus chapter 4. Um, you know, he, uh, God calls Moses to do this, this, this important task of liberating his people from Egypt. And I'm just, I think it's so interesting the way that Moses responds. I mean, you can't read, you know, the minds of people in antiquity through Scripture. You, that, that, if we do that, we're kind of taking a risk of looking like fools. But <laughs> there's a sense in which Moses says, you know, um, I don't really want to go. <laughs> Let me give you a number of excuses. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't I, first of all, I, I, I don't speak well enough. You know, they're not going to listen to me. You see this uh, in, in, in Exodus 4, verse 1. What if they don't believe me or listen to me, to what I say? You know, the, um, they, they could challenge me in some way. And then God says, well, look, you've got a staff in your hand, right? Well, let, me, let me show you what I can do with that. And he shows Moses what he can do with it. But that doesn't seem to, if you look at this, I mean, it's not like, okay, from that point on, Moses is all in. He's not. He, he says, you know, you know, God, you know, in verse 10, he says, uh, you know, I've never been eloquent. You know, I... Not not recently, nor in the past, you know, even since you've spoken to me as your servant, you know, I'm slow of speech. I'm slow of in other words, he seems to, and, and you could offer that one way of looking at this is to say, well, Moses is making a case for why he needs help. The other way to look at it is Moses is just full of excuses for why, you know, you, I can't go. I, I can't go by myself. Um, so when, you, when, when, when God calls Moses to do something, Moses, who is the you know a patriarch here, it's the guy, he's the man, who we see as the one who leads um, Israel out of Egypt. His first response is, you know, I, I really there's a couple of reasons why I can't do this. 
Now, now later on, um, you're going to see God call Aaron uh, to respond. It's the same chapter, chapter 4 of Exodus. Just scroll on down to verse 27. Uh, he says to Aaron, go to meet Moses in the wilderness. Um, every time you see God calling Aaron to do something, the next line is, uh, so he went. Yeah. So he did it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like there's no discussion about, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, but you know, I don't have this gift. Yeah. Or that gift. Uh, instead, uh, there's a there's a kind of manliness in Aaron um, that responds without trepidation. You know, just responds. Um, now I'm not going to spiritualize it too much. I mean, you could argue that he's responding in faith. But there's a, an example of of uh, what's so great about biblical manhood uh, in Aaron is that Aaron just answers the call. And there's something about Aaron that's so special, in fact, that, that Aaron is going to be the one in his line, his lineage, is going to be um, the priesthood. Um, and so you have something about Aaron reflects the nature of God in such a way that God chooses him to to do what he doesn't choose Moses to do, mm-hmm. um, to represent him, to to advocate, to to be the intermediary. That Those are things that are pretty – if you think about it, that was – just think about it at that time, how powerful that position was, yeah. right? As, I mean, there's, you know, this is, you can say a lot about Moses brings the Ten Commandments down to the people, but it's Aaron who gets in his lineage, who's become the, the priesthood. That's a very, uh, I think, different level of responsibility. So there's something about Aaron that I love, and it's not just, of course, in all of his his um, quick response, his, his obedience, his um being man enough. Look, you get a sense in the first interactions with Pharaoh that Moses is a little bit out of his, like, like, oh, boy, like he's a little bit, not intimidated necessarily, but maybe, maybe he's intimidated. He's a little quiet, at least at first. And Aaron is not. Aaron has no problem being the mouthpiece for, for, for God in front of the most powerful, dangerous man on the planet. He has no problem being the mouthpiece for God. And you see, as this goes along, uh, Moses almost seems to grow in his confidence, right? But it's interesting to me that Aaron is the the one who um, is is look. There's a part of me as a as a cop that that says there's not everyone can do this job. I mean, I know that. Uh, I know that if I'm if I'm advising my chief about who we're going to hire and how we're going to hire and what we're looking for in hirees, I know that not everyone can do this job. And there's a lot of folks who are really good at whatever they do, but this is a different kind of a. This is you're going to have to come in, and sort out a mess, and and be willing to get to be uncomfortable, because you're going to be uncomfortable in this job. I get a sense that Aaron could do this job. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like like Aaron, if we we hired him, he could do this job and would be comfortable in discomfort because you see that all yeah. the time, because he's facing danger and he doesn't flinch. Yeah, it's, so Moses was God's chosen prophet, and Aaron was God's chosen high priest. That's uh, you know quite a family working for working for God. Yeah, absolutely. And there's something about what I love about it is is that neither of these men are perfect. So I've always said that what's powerful about Scripture is it describes the world the way it really is. Yeah, and it describes us the way we really are. So we can make a hero out of any of these guys. Uh, or gals that are in the uh, Old Testament. But the reality of it is they are all messy, complicated people, just like us. So even though Aaron's got great attributes, got great virtues, got you know 
things that you could God can use and that we should emulate. Uh, there's a bunch of stuff that Aaron does that's just like really come on. Yeah. About. And this and I think a lot of that is is a reflection of. So so here's what I always say: um, the kind of person you hire in law enforcement who is willing to run toward danger when everyone else says no, uh, you know what, I want to go home at the end of the shift. Um, that's a different kind of guy and gal. We will hire both men and women, of course. Mm-hmm. But if you're willing to do that kind of job where you're willing to give your life to something, um, there's a bit of um, – how can I say it um, and put it in the right terms so it's not misconstrued? Uh, you have to be the kind of person who is maybe not reckless uh, but, but somebody who is bold enough. to, And that boldness that we're looking for often has its own pitfalls and it has its own liabilities. So to get a person who would be willing to do this job with vigor and to do it with uh, without fear, is you're probably hiring somebody who's going to be hard to manage mm-hmm. or maybe a little bit more difficult to manage because yeah. they are the kind of person who runs toward fear, runs toward danger. Um, there's something about that in Aaron, too, as I see him, right, that he's he's all the attributes that make him perfect to stand in front of Pharaoh are all the things that also lead him to make stupid decisions later, right? <laughs> yeah. Or to be challenged later. So yeah. so I think there's a cautionary tale in Aaron that I kind of like. So here's my first point that I think we maybe have established since we started, and that is God knows our hearts and he knows our capabilities, and he will put us in positions that's best suited for us. Yeah, and think about it. Even outside of time, that God already knows you're the mess that's going <laughs> to mess up later, right? right? I mean, right. He already knows you're that person, right. and right. and still He's using you today, and it, even though every future mistake you're going to make is known to God. Yeah, and so far, um, we're, so far, Jim, we're doing good without Captain. So this is good. Okay, good. Yeah, <laughs> that I was my this, fear. I want to play this episode for him and just rub it in. That we're so far, yeah. Well, we're doing I can good. tell you that when I, when I heard just a second ago that he wasn't going to be here, I'm like, what? <laughs> uh, is, good. You well, tricked me into this thing. I swear. <laughs> I know I did. We'll be back to talk more about Aaron in our Old Testament study with Jay Warner Wallace. You can go to coldcasechristianity.com to learn more about Jim. We'll be right back. about Aaron from the Old Testament. I talked him into doing this under the assumption that Peter Kapsner would be with us. So it's the old bait and switch. So we're, um, we're missing Peter today, but uh, always glad to talk to uh, Jim Wallace. And we're talking about Aaron today. And when we think of Moses going up to Mount Sinai to meet God, and he leaves Aaron in charge of the Israelites, it didn't take long, and the people became pretty restless and started constructing the uh, golden idols. He did not have the yeah. leadership of, of his brother. Yeah. I know, right? So I think there are actually a couple of um, maybe three or four ways that that Aaron kind of exposes um, that some of the strengths that are required to do what it is God asked Aaron to do are also some of the liabilities that Aaron has. Now, there's no way to know for sure what in the world Aaron was thinking, right? But we're really talking about this episode um, when um, you know, Moses is on Mount Sinai, that, uh, and somehow, for whatever reason, the people um, provoke 
um, Aaron to build the golden calf, right? They're going to take all that gold they have, and, and they – now, why would he do this? Um, there's lots of speculation about why he would or wouldn't do this, and, and there's all kinds of uh, both just Christian views on this. There's also Jewish views that are in the Talmud and and other but, – but look, I think part of it is that – that if you're the kind of person who is strong enough in your identity or confident enough in your own ability that you are willing to unquestionably go out in front of um, um, Pharaoh and, and, and throw the staff down and turn it you know, into a serpent and all the things that he did in front of Pharaoh and to speak so boldly in front of Pharaoh, you, the same as like people who are involved in uh, positions of leadership that are powerful enough and confident enough to, to, to lead are often um, confident enough to think they know better. In situations when they don't, um, he is the older brother of Moses, right? So there's a sense I'm sure that Aaron felt like, hey, if I, why is it Moses? Moses isn't going to rule over me. I'm going to rule over Moses. I'm sure that was at least part mm-hmm. of the dynamic in the family, right? I mean, this is what happens with older siblings, no matter how you look at it. So it turns out that yeah, there's a couple of ways that that, that Pharaoh. You would say, okay, whatever you're thinking of Aaron, um, he's got some. Some demerits, right? I mean, he's got this is one of them. This episode with the golden calf. How about later on, when it's um, on the day of his consecration, right? His he's got two sons that are older, the, the oldest sons anyway. Those are uh, Nadab and Abihu. Um, now they end up they end up being punished and burned up by a divine fire because they had offered this strange incense. It says in the scripture. In, in other words, it turns out that that folks who are look, you can be somebody who's honored by God and still have have liabilities. You can be somebody who's used by God. That should be an encouragement to all of us. Most of us would be like delighted if we could be used like Aaron was used by God. Yet we feel like, oh, they're not going to use me that way. Well, really, are you this messed up? Do you think you would have led the charge to build the golden calf? Do you think that you would have raised your kids in such a way mm-hmm. that they wouldn't have known better than to burn uh, uh, incense to, to, a, to so, you know, that was such that was punishable by God? You know, in Numbers 12... It says that um, you remember this is an episode in which Aaron, uh, Aaron rather, and Miriam, Aaron and Miriam, they end up kind of uh, complaining about Moses. They complain about the fact that he um, seemed to have this to be Lord God's prophet. That like that he's in this position of being a prophet. Just read Numbers twelve. Really? So 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 it turns out that that same view that is gives you the confidence to do certain things can also lead you to think too much of yourself, where you're like questioning that why don't I have that power? I should have the power that my brother has. Um, you also see um, that this ends up resulting. And there's not like not like everybody was always in love with Aaron. If you just keep on reading from Numbers 12 to Numbers – by the time you're in Numbers 16, uh, Numbers 17, you're reading about how people are challenging uh, Aaron as the high priest. You know, like, why why do you think you're not – so in other words, it's it's complicated, and all of our lives are complicated. And Aaron, as much as he's an icon for the strength that he showed in front of Pharaoh, ends up having a rather complicated life in which you could point to several things where, where he clearly failed. And I think for me, as somebody who is trying to, to do what I can, I realize, especially as I want to hold a biblical view of, of, of masculinity, a biblical view of leadership, and a biblical view of manhood, I recognize that I, I'm going to have my own failings. And a lot of these failings are going to be driven by the exact same strengths that God uses for something positive are also my inherent innate liabilities. So, so I'm trying to figure out, like, you know, I'm trying to protect myself. This all goes into what we always talk about, right? We, you and I have talked to this before, that, that the reason why people fall are driven by the only three things that ever tempt any of us, and that is uh, money, 
and sometimes it could be reward. You could look at it as reward, right? Financial reward, or um, sex and relationships. That's the second driver that causes us to fall, or it's the pursuit of power. That is a huge overarching category. Respect, authority, those are subsets of the pursuit of power. So it turns out if um, those are all good things, but those are things that we can we can twist toward our own advantage. And you even see this in the life of Aaron, right, where the struggles seem to be related mostly to the pursuit of power. And that's a big one for all. I, I always say that almost 70, like, those are the only three reasons why anyone commits a murder. All the murders I've investigated, they always come back to those three things. Those are also the only three reasons why anyone sins or does anything they shouldn't do. It always comes back to those three things. And if you look at Aaron, and I always say that of, of those three things, the pursuit of power is probably a 70 percentile kind of thing. And if you look at Aaron, most of his failings, most of the places where you could say, oh, you know, it's always going to come back to that pursuit of power, that, that authority, that thinking that I know better, that thinking that I'm going to lead in this way, that I'm going to answer the people. I'm concerned about what the people think of me. So we're going to build this golden calf. This is all in that third category. And this is often what leaders struggle with are those three things. And and also, you know, if you think about it, there's also a sense in which with his oldest sons, like how could they not – how could they know not no, – look, they have their own issues. They are also struggling with you know, money, sex, and power. But, but I can tell you this. You know that it, the more you are um, – most of the people we know who are leaders within Christianity are spending a lot of time leading in Christianity. And because they are spending so much time and they are now nationally known or internationally known preachers, apologists, or ministry leaders – uh, they are probably not spending a lot of time at home. Let's just be honest. We aren't. If we're if you're spending that much time to achieve the, the goal that you think God has called you to achieve, um, you you know probably somebody else is raising your kids. Let's just be honest about it. Mm-hmm. And there's a sense in which even in Aaron's own story, that um, his kids are doing the things that he would probably even have said were, and they end up with suffering the greatest consequence because they were doing those things. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of like cautionary tales I think in the life of Aaron. You know, and then Aaron really, you know, after God took their lives, Aaron didn't really try to defend him, or nor did he accuse God of any wrongdoing. He kind of understood God's holiness and accepted the judgment on his boys. Yeah, think about that for a second. When I read that too, I'm thinking, wow, okay. So let's just try to really be realistic about yeah. that, if you were Aaron. Yeah, Jim, I think um, what we have to do is start this conversation after the break, because I don't want to get you started and then cut you off. Okay, no problem. <laughs> yeah. So this is such a, a good topic. I mean, it's see, really... if Peter was here, this would have been time better. I'm just going to tell you right uh, now. I... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because usually I text Peter and I go, "You go next. I'm out of questions." <laughs> and he's not here. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So we'll we'll look at Aaron as a dad and see what you think about uh, the way he uh, did not try to defend his kids or did not accuse God of any wrongdoing. We'll be back with Jay Winter Wallace. We continue our series in Old Testament people, and today we're studying Aaron. Be right back. It's the afternoon show. 
I just asked management if I could play a nine-minute bumper like Stairway to Heaven, and they said no. I figured that would eat up some time. <laughs> so, Come on now. We're having a good conversation no, about not, Aaron. How could you even no, ask no, me? I can say such a thing. Well, I don't know how much material you have left, and I'm getting low on questions, so we're going to have to. No, I, well, I can tell you there's a lot that we can talk about this related to biblical manhood. This is one of the things that I think is so fascinating yeah, about I Aaron. I know. Right, is that he is a flawed human. Right. And that, 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 that when, what God calls us as men to do is going to leverage aspects of our nature that are powerful and also, though, are our greatest downfall. Mm-hmm. I guess what I'm, I'm saying is there's a sense in which – now I'm going to turn a corner with this, and you, I, uh, I was planning on turning this corner all along. I hope you're, you're willing to turn it with me. <laughs> of course. Uh, there's a sense in which – I'll just be honest with you. I picked Aaron when you asked me to come on to do the show as, as far as Old Testament characters because I feel like we have lost our voice when it comes to masculinity and culture. Like everything that 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 you see that is being pushed by culture related to masculinity is is absolutely unbiblical. Um, just the idea that there would be a distinction between men and women itself mm-hmm. has become a claim of culture that I don't think you can support in Scripture. Um, we are look, you can be of equal value, yet be utterly different. And and for example, I have two cars sitting in my driveway. One is a night as a 2013 Hyundai. <laughs> Okay, Elantra. The other, because we're not car people, we don't care about cars. Anyway, the the other one's a 2007 Volkswagen Bug. And if you look at those two cars right now, the blue book on them is about the same. So they're of equal value, but they're very different cars, and we use them for different reasons. And we take them in different places. If you need a trunk, you're not going to use your Bug. Mm-hmm. If you know, if you want to do it, the, the Bug's a convertible. So if you want to go to the beach, that's a nice car to go in. My whole point is, you can be of exactly the same value, yet be very different. So there's never been an issue in Scripture about men and women where that these were not of equal value. The claim of Scripture is that we are different, but of equal value. And so the question then is, so, so I think that part of it is, is that the culture says that masculinity, if I say the word masculinity to you, most people in culture understand that part of the term is missing, right? It's toxic max masculinity. That's all we think of, uh, is that to be masculine now is to be toxic. So there's a sense in which I'm looking at this and saying, hey, you know, there's a, there's a pattern that is, that air, I guess what I'm saying is there's a sense in which it, to be masculine means you have to be perfect, and, and Aaron is clearly not. And, and, and we have to understand that the very thing that drives us to express ourselves in ways that are different, either as a man or as a woman, are going to be imperfect because we're imperfect humans. There's going to be some, some, some flaws in your nature as a man or your nature as a woman that we cannot say, then, well, then, then womanhood or manhood is, 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 is not worth pursuing because we don't see a perfect example of it anywhere. Well, you're never going to. This is the whole point of Scripture, too, is that it describes the world the way it really is. So, so there's a sense in which I love the story of Aaron because he's, he's really, if you think about it, he's unquestioningly bold when Moses seems to be sometimes like a coward. Really? You need somebody to help you? Uh, yeah, he needs Aaron. Of all people he could mention, he needs Aaron. So clearly he knew Aaron was the guy too. And then Aaron goes without any question. He does the job. And then later on, he's building a golden calf. He's he's challenging. I mean, he's a mess. His own kids are a mess. Yet yet this is the nature. I guess I, I, I see that in some sense, even think about this for a second, Bill. Who Who is it right now in Christendom? who you would say is the go-to person to understand what it is to be a man from a biblical perspective. 
like I don't see anyone out there right now who like that's their thing. You know, that's the thing. I can go to that. That person is going to be consistently teaching on that topic. I, I don't even know that. I, I wonder, are we starting to to uh, retreat from talking about what it is to be a man? Because we, we know that, that this might lead to, because, you know, uh, okay, uh, here's where I didn't want to go, but I'm going to go anyway. You tell me to shut up. I'm going to okay. shut up, okay? Um, they're the most popular podcast in Christendom last year was The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Um, it was a very popular podcast. And it describes, you know, a very popular pastor who, when I first started listening to him, I didn't know, you know nobody knows what's happening behind the scenes, okay? Mm-hmm. What we knew was that, wow, at least he is um, doing his, at least initially, he's doing his best to talk about manhood from a biblical perspective. And he was known as that guy, um, almost to a fault, right, where you can see, well, maybe he's carrying it a little bit too far. But because he may have carried it too far, then no, nobody wants to touch it. Like we've lost our ability to talk about biblical masculinity because you, we can point to a, a, a somebody who we can say, well, there's, there's why we shouldn't be talking about it. There's, there's why we, no one should talk about it. But the reality of it, is, of course, is that this is a part of, of teaching of Scripture, and I think that we have to be wise enough about it to be able to engage the conversation. So, Jim, why the blurred lines on this topic? Is this, is this just an enemy attack wanting to go after the things that God clearly put in place and God loves? I think it is. Again, there's a confusion about equal value and, and, and everything else having to be exactly the same. So, so I think that's part of the confusion that, that if, I, if you can't so, – so I'll give you an example of this. Um, one of the things that, that really defines the difference is where we get into physicalities. There are clearly physical differences between men and women. And, and there's a reason why those physical differences occur. And there are all, obviously all the kinds of other differences as well. Um, but but you, you, it's hard to deny the physical differences in terms of performance. If it's just sports performance, you see those differences statistically. If it's in terms of brute strength, it's uh, muscle mass, it's bone density, it's all the things that separate men from women. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I, I think that there's I, – I, in my own family, you probably know this too, in your own – in yours, that, that, that I'm glad that, that I'm not the one who was uh, – my kids might be a mess if I was the only parent, okay? It turns out, if not for Susie, that our whole family would probably be a train wreck. Mm-hmm. But because she is the kind of person who can nurture and uh, listen and, and love in a way that creates um, well-balanced kids, we have well-balanced kids. I mean, so a lot of that is due to, to who she is, not who I am. There's a sense in uh, I'm a protector and provider based largely on the innate uh, biological differences that I have with her. You know, I am bigger, I'm stronger. Uh, you see this all the time when you get into bar fights. And if you're a cop, you're going to get into a bunch of these. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's not just that, mm-hmm. you know, it's a man-woman thing. You just know if you got a guy who's 6'8 and 240 and he's working with you, mm-hmm. he's kind of like a, like a Greek god, this dude's a good guy to have with you in a bar fight. Yeah, no kidding. And, and it's just not, it's not about, it's not about what, what we share in common or have a different. It's about muscle mass and bone density and size and strength and all of those things. And, and sadly, in a, in a world that is fallen, a lot of things end up rolling downhill to who is stronger. Um, and so I think that those cultures around us that accept and embrace a, um, a biblical worldview, even if they have no idea where it's grounded, in other words, they're not Christians, they're not Jewish people, they, are not, they don't even read the Bible, they don't own a Bible, but they happen to by accident uh, um, embrace a biblical worldview. Those folks will thrive because their families will grow, and those folks will eventually um, 
take over the world because they hold a view that recognizes uh, the distinctions. And if we continue to reject these as a culture, we do so at our own demise. Hmm. When you talked earlier about uh, sex, power, and um, money, and I was thinking about power, and do men in particular struggle with this more than women? Do they have this deep desire to be admired and respected? Is that just part of who we are as men? And that's what we try to control, is that admiration and respect, and if we don't get it, that's when we lash out? Well, I think a lot of it just depends. We both do. Both sexes do this, but it expresses itself differently. So if I go to a party with you and we start shaking hands and talking to other people, one of the first questions that men will ask of other men is, what do you do? Because we're trying to kind of measure each other. Yeah, right. And it's a power issue, really. It's like, do you have a position of power? You know, if I said to you, oh, I work for the law enforcement, I'm a police officer here locally. Uh, or, or you said, I'm a lieutenant at the police department. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, why do I even mention that? Well, because <laughs> it's a power, authority, respect thing. Mm-hmm. Women do the same thing, just in different ways. Usually it's, it's relational. They might ask, well, what's your family like? Or how many kids do you have? Or again, if I say I have, depends on the culture, but if I say I have two, or I say I have six, uh, you're initially going to judge me, either depending on your worldview, uh, positively or negatively based. What do we, why, do we even, why do we ask those kinds of questions? Why ask any Because we are really measuring each other mm-hmm. and trying to assess each other along uh, lines of sex, money, or power. But in those kinds of conversations, it's usually power. So I think both sexes struggle with this uh, because this is the nature of sin. And by the way, this is not just my observation as a police detective because, yeah, I, I discovered this by accident working homicides. But it's in Scripture. It's in First John 2. These are the things that cause us to sin, and and uh, it's not it's not just my observation. It's I, mean, I didn't realize it was in scripture, but but it is. And what I love about the story of Aaron, going back to him, is that he he demonstrates that there's there's the dangers are. Look, if Aaron could have started off by saying, you know what, I'm going to protect myself from the three areas where I know I'm likely to fall, because these are the only three areas where in which anyone falls. And it turns out all of his failures seems to be related in that third category, the pursuit of power. Mm-hmm. Right. So if I if I just knew up front that this is my 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 problem is I'm going to think I know better. I'm going to think I should lead. I'm going to think, that, well, this is what happens, right? I'm going to think that I that actually it's my position as as priest is so important that I can uh, not even be paying attention to what my kids are doing, right? And remember, again, we have a tendency to think of Aaron as a young man when this whole thing starts, right? But most scholars will put him right around 83 when he first begins. Now, granted, given the life, lifespan that he he lived, that's still he got a lot of uh, he's got a lot of runway still, right? Uh, he's landing on, but but still, that's pretty. He's got a life experience right before he begins, and this goes to show you that even as no matter how old you get, um, we still struggle with the same things. Mm-hmm. It's just it's a it's our fallen nature. But if you know in advance that that's how you're going to fall, you can do a better job of protecting yourself. Mm. It's as simple as that. Yeah. Do you have a perspective, Jim, on Aaron not defending his kids and not accusing God of wrongdoing? So I think that's so interesting, right? Is, is it, I, it, so look, it, uh, there's a danger up front. This is yeah. the same danger that textual critics uh, take when they try to, try to read between the lines and try to figure out who's the other. All the, yeah, I can't read the minds of people in antiquity this way. But, but one possibility, uh, of course, is going to be that, that you know, um, if I feel a certain ownership in this, like if I feel like I'm the reason why my kids make mistakes because I, I spent so much time over here thinking this is my calling, for example, the entire time that Aaron and Moses are dealing with Pharaoh, don't you wonder, 
Like what's happening with their families? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. I'm guessing they're not going home every night. No, no, I'm sure they're not. Right, and going, hey, right. guess what happened today at work? <laughs> right. You know? So, and, and look, I feel bad enough as a guy who goes to work every day, went to work every day, did I spend enough time? I was exhausted by the time I walked in the door. Yeah. And I'll bet a lot of your your listeners right now, if they're, if they're working jobs, men or women, feel like, yeah, you know, I give my best, if I'm really honest, I give more enthusiasm and energy to my work, which is, which if I don't, I'm going to get fired, mm-hmm. than I do to my family. Because even if I don't do it, I'm still going to be mom or dad tomorrow. You're right. So, so I, I'll bet you that, and I wonder if part of the reason why he doesn't push back is because he knows, oh, dude. I, yeah, I mean, I'm the reason why that happened. Mm-hmm. Take uh, a break. Let me take one more break. Jay Warner Wallace is my guest. We're talking about Aaron in our Old Testament series. We'll be right back. Jay Warner Wallace is my guest. We are continuing our study in Old Testament people, and we're talking about Aaron today. And Peter Kapsner has not been with us today at all. Jim, I think we've been doing just fine without him. Well, I hope so. <laughs> if so, we'll have to give him a hard time when you see him next, right? Hey, we don't actually need you, Peter. Sorry. Oh, boy. He's on, he's on the line right now. <laughs> well, I know. I should be saying this out loud. I was thinking it. but I was, Did it come out of my mouth? Oh, I'm so sorry. He just landed from Scotland, and he's on the line with us for the last oh, 10 minutes. Oh, I'm so glad. This is good. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, that's not what I heard about 20 seconds ago. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I know. I know. You're right. I got caught red-handed. I hate when that happens. <laughs> yeah. I love it. But it does happen, so what are you going to do? You got anything on Aaron, Peter, or do you want to hang up and go back to bed? Well, <laughs> yes, and, and yes. No, I, I don't know what you've all covered so far. Maybe somebody could give me like a two-minute summary or a two-second summary of what you've covered. It'd probably be good for everybody listening, too. Yeah, Jim. Well, you know, part of it, Peter, is I just thought that Aaron is a great example of biblical manhood in the sense that he has a certain fearlessness that doesn't that Moses doesn't seem to have. In other words, if you if, if, if you typically offer the same, if you're doing a study and you, you, you put the same thing in front of people and see how differently they respond, well, God comes to both both these guys. And and he doesn't. And Aaron responds very differently than Moses does. Moses is almost, in some sense, even when God shows him what the staff is going to what he's going to do with the staff. Uh, Moses is basically, I can't do this. I need help. I don't speak that well. But you never see that kind of hesitancy in Aaron. So there's a, a sense in which. Uh, he is. He, he represents a certain form of biblical masculinity that I love. At the same time, he's deeply flawed. And I think that it turns out that the very things that make you the man that God can use also are the temptations that lead you to do the stupid things you do in life. <laughs> True for all of us, right? So, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I'm curious. And just seeing the two of them working together, I mean, there, there's so many um, men in leadership roles that are trying to do everything all on their own. And, and everybody has those failings, right, of some kind. And so to see the two of them be able to complement each other in that leadership in some way, I think it's pretty helpful. Yeah, I think also look at that episode, right, where Moses needs Aaron to hold up his arms. You know, I mean, I think that there's a sense in which really, um, it, uh, look, at least give him credit for that. Because if you thought you were the older brother, 
I, I, I see nothing in the story, uh, although I do see some challenges. I don't see anything in the story that says, you know, Aaron always wished he had been Moses. <laughs> you don't see that. And, and here he is, a guy who's the older uh, brother. You do see this with other brother pairings in the Old Testament, where one is jealous of the other, and that's the whole story is about the jealousy. But you don't see that here. Um, I think it's it's pretty cool that he's even confident enough in who he is that when God says, hey, I need you to do this, he's like, I got you. I can do this. Um, no hesitancy. Um, standing in front of the most powerful man who's probably the most dangerous man in the world to the Jews. And here he is um, just proclaiming what he's proclaiming. Uh, trust God even. You can look at this as an issue of faith or just an issue of innate confidence. Either way you look at it. I think there's a there's an aspect of like biblical masculinity that we all need to grab. But what I, I think is is you see, and we even see this in current leaders today in the church who are teaching on who have taught in the past at least on biblical masculinity, that, that it can be carried too far. And but 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 you this is what drives me nuts, is that because we've associated the word toxicity with with you know toxic masculinity that we then want to retreat altogether from any form of masculinity. And I think that would be a mistake, and it's not what Scripture teaches. And Aaron's a good example of that. So I don't know how you feel about that, Peter. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Uh, I mean, we've, we've had some conversations both on and off the air over these last uh, year or two just about the whole celebrity single pastor role. And it's a role that is filled with so much pressure, and it's role with, with so much expectations. I don't know how one person can possibly fill that role on their own. And and so I think there's a sense in which masculinity is seen as, as an individualized masculinity, where if you're going to be a true man, you need to be able to pull up your bootstraps and do it all on your own and, and not admit any kind of flaw or weakness. But I think there's great strengths in men that are willing to admit that there's a weakness that they're going to need some help with along the way. Well, you see this in Aaron, too. Like There's always a sense in which Aaron is at least repentant. Right, and I think that's an important part of it. Um, now, now, I so I struggle with this, Peter, it, for, for for one reason. For, I see that the generation of cops that I came out of were kind of like a rub some rub some dirt on it approach. Like we're going to see some stuff that nobody wants to see. I get that, but I'm not going to be able to retire behind that um, based on my struggles with that. I'm going to have to man up and just go through that because somebody has to work these kinds of cases. Somebody has to see this stuff. Somebody has to touch this stuff. Somebody has to solve these crimes. If I if I let myself get caught up in how I'm feeling about things, uh, nothing's going to get solved. No case is going to get solved. I've had cases that are, I, I didn't want to talk about, and I have no I had no problem. I thought, I used to talk about them publicly all the time until my wife said, "Hey, don't talk about those anymore. They're too um, almost inflammatory. They're too they're too sensitive." So there's a, I struggle with the idea that look in order like the stuff that would have bothered my grandfather after World War II. Mm. Um, you know, it's probably even he's even a higher bar of rub some dirt on it, you know, than I held, you know, but that but I, I recognize that if we're not careful, there won't be anyone who can do the kinds of jobs that have to be done in culture uh, because there won't be anybody who can do them without saying, OK, I'm now um, disabled for having seen this or disabled. for. And I, and I get this. There are people who are truly disturbed by what we have to see. But the job hasn't changed. Hmm. But the people have been looking at this stuff for, for you know, forever. The job hasn't changed. We just changed in how we've reacted to the job. And so I think there's a way – I kind of struggle with that. That's why I picked Aaron because I think you know Aaron is one of those guys who I love. I'm looking for any role in the Old Testament in which I can see somebody who says, whatever you need, dude, I got gotcha. you. I can go do that. Uh, even though I might end up dead today, 
I'm willing to go do that. And the no excuses, you're not going to – if you ask me, I'm not going to say, you know, I have this shortcoming. Can you find somebody else to help me? <laughs> no, he's just going to say, don't, don't care. Whatever you need, I can do it. And I, I hope that with that – and I think that is part of, of, of our role, right, as men, is that we, we, we have to be able to rise to the occasion. And there are going to be times – look, we're right now on the precipice of world war. There's a time – I wonder, do we still have people who would have done what was necessary in World War II? Hmm. Would we do it again? I think most of us as a culture accepted a biblical view of masculinity uh, 70 years ago that we don't accept today. Yeah, I, and I'm so glad you brought up the war thing. I was, I was you were talking, Joe, thinking about Zelensky, and, and I want to be a little careful in phrasing the question because clearly we're not talking about a perfect human being here. But But there's been something about his daily leadership that – I, I don't remember in the last 10 or 20 or 30 years in a seeing a visible male leader leading daily in Ukraine and, and having nations come around him the way that they are. And again, I want to be careful because we're not trying to turn him into the Messiah or turn him into something that he's not. But at the same time, I think he's filling a void of leadership that maybe we had forgotten about for a very long period of time. And, and he's stepping into some things where there's, there's this unanimity coming around him and support. It's been really interesting to watch. Well, I hope there's nothing else in this episode of, of the show that we're really trying to do is just start the conversation. I'm afraid we're at a point where we can't even start the conversation, where this idea, if, if you know, do you believe what they're talking about over there? Like, can we even have this conversation anymore? And so that's where I hope that we still are in the one worldview that we possess, where we can still have this. I think even within Christendom, we are going to lose the ability to talk about the roles, the distinct roles between men and women yep. and what biblical masculinity and femininity looks like. I mean, in the end, uh, let's be honest, the culture has moved so far away from the biblical definitions that it's going to start to get uncomfortable. And, and we have to be ready to be uncomfortable. And, and that's at least another part of biblical masculinity. Aaron was uncomfortable. Uh, maybe he wasn't, but I, I get a sense he probably was. I mean, if you're standing in front of Pharaoh, you're probably feeling uncomfortable, yet you still do it. And so I think that's what I'm hoping, that at least if we can start this conversation, because the conversation itself is going to be uncomfortable. That's, a, that's such a solid point, Jim. You know, he's standing in front of the Pharaoh, obviously uncomfortable, yet he still does it. That's why I love Aaron, right? I mean, I'm sure Moses felt the same way, but I love Aaron because he, does, he's, he doesn't – you never hear – look, there's an old-school view. The, the cops I came on the job with were my dad's generation of cops, mm -hmm. and you never heard them complain about stuff that would make them uncomfortable. Never. I'm afraid that in this generation, that's all we're going to hear, right? I shouldn't have to see this. This is. I need to retire behind this. I need you guys to pay for my retirement when I'm retired behind this. These are things that I think we're seeing in this culture. And I think a lot of it is because those guys were the old uh, either World War II or Vietnam vets who were like, you know what, they, they had a different view of how they're going to suffer through a consequence than we have today. So that's why I hope that we at least can start the conversation. Now, look, I know this is controversial, and probably you're going to get a lot of negative uh, response to any discussion of biblical masculinity or masculinity at all. But but I think we, we have to make a distinction, and not to say that it's superior. It's, it's, it's of equal value, but it is different. Yeah, Jim, such a fun conversation. And I think of Aaron's life, and then there was such a demonstration of God's grace in Aaron's life. He was faithful. He said yes to stuff. He was he was willingly uh, uh, going to Moses and serving him, um, but yet he was still a sinner. And I think he learned a lot from uh, what he did, as admitting his sin and speaking against Moses. And then he dealt with the death of his sons in kind of an unusual and but very faithful way.
Well, I hope that everyone who listens today knows that the, 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 the evidence for the need for a Savior uh, is, is thousands of years old. Yeah. And then it begins with the oldest patriarchs in the Old Testament. And from that point on, you see that we are all sinners in need of redemption. Um, this is true for anyone who even denies there's a Redeemer, denies there's a Savior, is that you are still less than whatever your, even your own standards. I guarantee you, you've probably fallen short of your own standards. And certainly if there is an all-powerful God who is powerful enough to eliminate any kind of imperfection, he is also capable of eliminating moral imperfection. That's the kind of God we stand before. Mm-hmm. Not a God who's just good, but a God who's perfect. And yeah. that's why we need a Savior. Jim, so much fun to be with you. Thank you so much for uh, spending an hour with us today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Appreciate always it. great. Jay Warner Wallace and Dr. Peter Kapsner. Peter, if you're still there, thank you very much. Have a great night. And that's all of our show for today. We so enjoy, I so enjoyed being with you. If you miss any of the show, I always encourage you to go to MyFaithRadio.com. There's an afternoon with Bill's show page. You can uh, check out the podcast if you missed any of it. Maybe you heard something today that you want to send on to a friend. It is so easy to share the link. You can text a link to this show right to a friend or a family member, and then you can discuss later. All right, that's the show for today. Looking forward to being with you tomorrow. Have a great night, everyone. See you then. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.